Pillow Talk, the official Rudding Park podcast. Morning, folks. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome a familiar face on our TV screens. Since her Blue Peter days, she's been a staple on the BBC, ITV, Channel 5, basically anything televisual. Working across numerous Olympics, uh, World Swimming Championships, and not to mention a familiar face on everyone's Sunday favourite, Country File. Ladies and gents, today we have a genuine celeb. Welcome, Helen Skelton. Hello. Helen's uh, actually taken on a new challenge to master golf in in six months i've been attempting to play golf for what feels like 60 years uh, and i haven't uh, haven't mastered it so uh, helen joins us with her coach and mentor pga professional steph davis who um i've known steph since she was 12 or 13 when steph was one of our first ever golf scholars uh here at rudding uh, and uh, steph was successful we then coached steph and uh, she's now a far better golfer uh, than i am steph now works with grooves golf who are based here with us at rudding and uh steph is going to teach helen how to play golf Helen, Steph. Lucky for you. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for agreeing to chat to me on Pillow Talk. I've got to be honest, when I heard it was Pillow Talk, I thought, how is this going to go? I was like, this could be really weird. So I'm glad that it's there's no actual pillows in it. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a bit dodgy. Helen, you've taken a little bit more, uh, taken golf up as uh, uh, part of the Slingsby Golf Academy. You're having a competition against some other famous people. Tell us a little bit more about it. Well, to be honest, all of that stuff is kind of like the extra bit. Like I got asked, do I want to learn to play golf over the next six months, have some lessons, get some golf stuff? And I thought, yeah, great. And then I completely underestimated the end goal. I didn't, re- when I said yes, I didn't really realise that the whole thing was we have to play against each other. So there's four of us. We have to play against each other to play in the, I can't even say because I get the letters wrong, BMWPGA. Yes. Down at Wentworth. Yes. Uh, I went to see it the other uh, couple of years ago. It's fantastic. What a superb golf course. Intimidating, though. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. You'll be all right. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. So I didn't really, like for me, my dad and my brother are big golfers. They've always wanted me to play. I've never had the, a reason to. So I was like, okay, this seems fun. But yeah, six months is quite condensed. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's a difficult sport, isn't it? It's not just physical. It's uh, it's mental as well. How do you uh, how do you cope with that? And I find the thing that I find the most kind of head fog is obviously with all these clubs and you've got all these distances and you can hit a perfect shot, but it's completely wrong because it's gone too far. Or it's gone too short. And I spend probably a good amount of time going, do I use this club or this club or this club or this club? It's tactical as well, isn't it? It is. Yeah, depends who you're playing against. Yeah. Uh, and sadly, for, or maybe it's just me, I find myself playing against myself half of the time. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Actually, Being an just, individual sport. Yeah. So... Steph, how's uh, has uh, Helen been uh, a model student? How's she getting on? She's doing really well. She's practicing all the time. Um, we've been out on the course a lot just to try and get her used to the different shots as she's saying, different clubs hitting because it's different from standing on the range. Um, you've got the hills and all the different shots that you've got to play. Swapping clubs each time as well, getting used to changing the clubs. So she's doing really well, yeah, practicing all the time, it's good. And uh, after um, some of Helen's some 
massive physical challenges is she um is she mentally strong she's very mentally strong yeah i'd say very confident actually she just goes and does it which is great there's no nerves about any of the shots it which is perfect just gets the ball hits it and walks on i never think that's a good thing though that is probably whenever no, that's and, great but whenever anyone says to me why did you cut the amazon why are you taking on this golf thing i don't really think about it like i just do it and that's what the others have said like, it doesn't i don't necessarily think it's not a good thing in most walks of life like i do and then think oh was that a good idea like flurries keeps saying to me you just walk up and whack it don't you, you don't even think about it and i'm like well yeah that's what you're meant to do isn't it whereas they all stand around and have a bit of a chat and like work out like they're really Fleur and, and Natalie are really good and, and Belle's got loads of skills as well but they all think about it and work out what they're going to do and then they're like Helen's hit five and one's like bang 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 absolutely speed of play it's very very important <laughs> believe me I'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm with you just get on with it hit it move on thank yeah. you when it uh, when it uh, where I struggle with golf is when it goes wrong and I get myself absolutely ratched up and then I really give it some the next time and it goes even worse. How do you box off your bad shots? Have That's you... such a good term, ratched up. I feel like I used to say that when I was thirteen. I love it. You got a right ratch on with that shot. Exactly. Um, I hit lots of bad ones, and I think actually, Steph, that's you from day one. You've always kind of made this about fun and laugh and like. Even if you do walk up and think, oh, how am I going to hit this? You're like, what's what's wrong with that? Like, you're very much about the fun and the enjoyment. So if it goes bad, I've never really had the opportunity to get my knickers in a twist about it because Steph's like, oh, it doesn't matter. You got another one. There's 18 holes. You're going to hit a lot of balls. So, and also, I think the one bit of golf I did watch on TV, the commentator spent the first five minutes saying, oh my god, how has he pulled it back because he had such a stonker? And I thought, that's all I need to know about golf. It can go really bad, and you can pull it back. Yeah, you've always got a chance to. Uh, it's not like cricket, say when you're out, you're out. That's yeah. it. You've always got a chance to uh, to get it back. So rumor has it that the other cadets who you've just name checked um, uh, see you as competitive. Is that true? Everyone sees me as competitive. <laughs> really? Honestly, everyone thinks I'm, and it's kind of annoying because I think especially when you're a woman, it's like competitive is seen as really unattractive and it's like, oh, she's really competitive. She must be a right bitch. And it's like that competitiveness isn't a bad thing. Like I'm not competitive with others, but I'm competitive with myself. I've agreed to play golf and I want to be good enough to not make a fool of myself. So I'm competitive with myself. I'm not doing this because I want to be better than Bella or better than Natalie. I want to be better than I was at the start. Uh, Steph, so Helen's obviously getting stuck into golf and, and seems to be enjoying it. What advice would you give to anyone who's thought about golf but hasn't had the courage to try it yet? I think just give it a go. As Helen said, what's the worst that can happen? It's outdoors, it's fun game, um, it's not as scary as everyone thinks, it's not as hard to do as everyone thinks. We've got a short course that only takes an hour, so if you think you don't have time, you probably do. Everyone's got an hour spare somewhere. Um, but yeah just give it a go if you like it great golf is seen as an old man sport yeah thanks Steph cheers it is though (laughs) like when people say oh my god you're a golf pro they're like but you're not 60 and you're not male but why why do you need to be male to play golf why is it seen as an old man sport it's a leveller the thing and you said this to me and I didn't really get it until recently 
like I can come with my kids and I can come with my dad and because of the handicap thing you can all play together yeah. like I probably couldn't go for a run with my dad you know that I probably but I could come and do this with him yeah, yeah it's I, completely different to other yeah. sports anyone yeah. can play with anyone even if you can play with someone that's been playing for 50 years and play off the handicap of three even if you've just started and you could probably beat them because of the handicaps and it's, it's also a great level of, I've got a friend who's violently intelligent and he's really, really good at everything. I mean, he's, he's sickening. Uh, and he tried golf and uh, because golf is such a mental game and he couldn't do it. I mean, the ball's still. That's the thing, really annoying thing. The ball doesn't even move. It's not like squash or tennis or whatever. The ball's still. And he just gave it up because he was one of those people that everything comes to so easily in life and golf you've got to work out, haven't you? You do, yeah. So, Helen, um, Blue Peter saw you take on some incredible uh, challenges. Uh, Namibia Ultra Marathon, uh, you were only the, the second ever woman to, to do so. Kayaking over down the Amazon River, breaking two Guinness World Records. So not only are you a celeb, you're also a Guinness World Record holder. Yeah, do you know what? That's a good thing about being on Blue Peter because they love the world record. So it was great at Christmas. I just used to get my mum the book. So it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, but do you know what? The, re the records, it sounds really, it almost sounds arrogant. It wasn't like that. They were always like a byproduct and it was just in that, like the kids, the kids loved them. So that was kind of an extra, an added extra. Did you get a plaque, one of those plaques? You get, a, you get a certificate. You get a certificate. Just as a quick aside, there was a fellow called Mr. Mange Too. He was a Frenchman from Grenoble. He was the world's best eater of anything, and he ate a Cessna light aircraft. It took him three and a half years. Oh, and he got into the Guinness yeah. World Records. They gave him a plaque, and he then ate the plaque. Oh, <laughs> How about that? I Fantastic. Like, I feel like I'm not as proud of my Guinness World Records now. <laughs> so you've done, all, you've done all these fantastic challenges. How does golf compared to the Amazon or Namibian Marathon? Uh, well, definitely fewer pirates and, you know, scorpions in the night. Oh, yeah, in the Amazon. Really? Yeah, they, they um, I know, I would see you, the tone of your voice is like me, I got really excited and the security people were like, no, this is serious, Helen. And I was like, it is serious, but it's also quite exciting that as a grown-up you're getting chased oh. by real-life pirates. Um, Did they have like eye patches and parrots and yeah. stuff like that? <laughs> they said, no. um, Shivering my timbers. They just look like the police. And they, um, so in the Amazon, obviously, we started, uh, we went through Colombia, Brazil, Peru, and, you know, we were on that river for two and a half months, and we were living on a boat, and there's lots of bits of the jungle that are, you know, pretty dodgy, and they, they want sugar and coffee. They don't want money, they want your sugar and your coffee, so they would... Like try to board people's boats for sugar and coffee and obviously because we were British and a kids TV presenter mucking about on the river they thought we might have sugar and coffee very good and um, you've both got young families uh, and with such busy schedules how do you um, manage to juggle everything um, we've done all right so far I think you've had a few weeks where you've been down in London and stuff um, but because we're a team at Grooves we could we have other pros that if I'm not available then Helen can go see and um, we've only had to do that once so far um, so but the first right. time we met all we did was talk about the kids yeah because it is it, in it, fact it, most of the times we, we just talk about the kids oh yeah sorry golf but how is that yeah. but it's what you do isn't it when you kid like when you've got kids that your kids are your life and like everything you do fits around them so like for me with this people go oh it's a bit tamer than going to the south pole and i'm like you yeah, i've got a four and a five year old i'm not going to antarctica for two months am i whereas pure steph 
has now had to put up with my kids because my kids want to play so my little boy joined lessons for a bit and they my kids love coming and I think for me that's one of the things that I really like about this you know they love rugby with their dad and football with their dad but they come here they watch me hit a ball off the driving range and they're like oh mummy that went so far you know they think I'm cool <laughs> compared, compared to the stiff in the suit over the other side of the table you are cool so what's uh, what's happening next sorry we're going to go no 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 at all <laughs> deafening silence my friends <laughs> uh, so yeah I, I said to Steph typically I've sort of started the biggest series that I've done in years as this has all started which is annoying but good um, so yeah I've got a big series for Channel 4 that I'm filming at the minute um, what's that? It's about brands, so it's like about um, Heinz and Kellogg's, and so I basically have to stalk all their CEOs and embed myself in their head offices and stuff for a while. So it's really interesting. Cool. Was the first ever brand Bass, and when they used to brand the barrels with a uh, with a triangle? I don't know. I've got a book called Man Walks Into a Pub, and it's all about the history of beer, okay. and I think that the first ever brand was Bass and they used to brand it, literally brand their wooden barrels with a triangle that was um, Bass's brand. And I think that's where the word brand comes from. Check it out, but I will, thank you. If, the, um, if this series takes a new turn, now we know. But that's quite a nice segue because uh, in a moment, we're gonna move from uh, from golf to uh, something else you could buy in pubs, gin um, uh, and Slingsby's. Nice that's yeah, what they call a gear change executed. <sighs> there we go. So more by luck than judgment. Um, <laughs> so before we say goodbye, Slingsby Gin, which is your favourite? You've got your marmalade, you've got your gooseberry, you've got your rhubarb, you've got your blue normal one, you've got your super duper navy strength, which was something to do with exploding on a boat, but something like that. Ask the Slingsby people. Rhubarb. Rhubarb and ginger, yeah big fan of this gym beforehand and then it just so happened that they're obviously this is kind of their competition and honestly I swear Flo East thinks I am some sort of gin addict she's like you love this gin don't you and I was like I drink it anyways like I'm from I live down the road like I, she's like wow okay you need to because I was talking about I was like, oh if you mix this with this and this she's like whoa calm down <laughs> and of course rhubarb is a uh, is you know traditionally from Yorkshire with the, the rhubarb triangle I didn't know that until yeah. not that long ago yeah yeah, the sort of, rhubarb is yeah. yeah, all based around wakey really. Yeah. It's uh, is is where it's at. Have and you they, seen how they grow it now? Oh, You'd be with well candlelight. Yes, isn't it incredible? In like a, it's like eerie in like yeah. a shed with candlelight. And if you've been there, you can hear them popping. Yes, it, it's crazy. It, yeah, so that they can grow it all year round. That's why they grow it in this candlelight. Uh, uh, and it's uh, it took a, tw a turn we yeah, weren't did. expecting. <laughs> Didn't it? Just um, uh, anyway, Slingsby used the rhubarb grown from uh, from the uh, Yorkshire rhubarb triangle to uh, to flavour. Um, your favourite Slingsby gin um, uh, Helen, Steph it's been uh, lovely to speak to you uh, I, uh, I'm ex especially impressed by pirates who don't want um, don't want doubloons uh, but uh, want sugar and, uh, and coffee and I'm somewhat disappointed or well, they would be disappointed if I was there because I wouldn't have any coffee, I'd only have tea and they'd, um, they'd probably be very disappointed if they stopped me thank you so much for coming it's been lovely to speak to you Welcome back. Uh, I am uh, sitting here talking to Alex Hansen, who goes by the fantastic title of Head Mixologist from Slingsby Gin and is the owner of one of the biggest 
bushiest beards I've ever met for those of you Hot Fuzz fans out there. And Fiona Slight, our head gardener, to share how Rudding Park has a small part to play in creating the award-winning Slingsby Gin. So this afternoon, we're going to be talking about my two favourite things, gardening and gin, funnily enough. So, Alex, welcome. Uh, Gin's seen a massive boom uh, in the last few years. I saw a stat the other day which said that uh, UK gin sales reached a new record in 2019 with Brits buying 83 million bottles worth. That over 2.6 billion pounds. Obviously, that's that's 80 million bottles for me and 3 million for the rest of you. (laughs) But uh, why so much? What's going on? Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a few things that have happened. Um, there was a law change thanks to brands like Sipsmith, uh, Brewdog and various William Chase. They got an old law change from uh, the gin craze back in the 1700s that prevented the... I could just about remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> it basically prevented the production of all alcohol in batches smaller than the equivalent of about 1,800 litres, which for reference is about 44,000 bottles of gin. So it was illegal for any producer to produce less than 44,000 bottles of gin before pretty, this law change. Pretty much. And you needed to have a warehouse. So basically, it was to prevent people from making alcohol in their own homes, okay. which was a law that they actually incited in like... 70, you know, 1689 or something. To, so they just, it was to stop all that Hogarthian rakes progress and exactly. all of that stuff. Exactly. Right, gotcha. The, 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 the drunken debauchery of the gin craze, yes. Uh-huh. And, and that law was deemed to be archaic and promoting monopolies. And after about four years of basically saying this is crazy and petitioning, uh, that law was lifted and there is now no minimum batch or building requirements for alcohol. And this wasn't just gin. Obviously, we're here to talk about gin, but this applied to alcohol in general so when people say so i'm okay with my cider production at home <coughs> yeah absolutely. and, and yeah. making my cider hooch where i freeze it down and then just take off the water content and keep the old fire water left at the bottom is that okay that is a separate conversation that one <laughs> okay um however you as long as you're not selling it and you're taxing it yes but basically the principle <laughs> is is the craft alcohol market has grown chaotically it's gone from basically being no craft distilleries to four or five within the Harrogate and local yeah, yeah, district yeah. and then you've got three or four breweries and the, the whole market's just gone boom so if my understanding of gin is correct right now I might be might be a bit wrong here but what you do is you take a load of herbs and spices and stuff dry them out chuck them in with a bit of raw alcohol leave it on to seep for a bit take it off cut it down with a bit of water bobs your uncle away you go happy days in theory, it works like that. <laughs> In practice, I so, mean, it took so Slingsby what, what, 18 attempts. 18 attempts to get your mixture right. Yeah. So what is your mixture? Well, I mean, that's a secret, but uh, of the of the 20... <laughs> you'd have to, you'd yeah. have to kill me if you told me. Yeah, I don't even know it. Uh, <laughs> no, we do list all of our botanicals, but obviously the blend and the Absolutely. amounts, etc. But what botanicals... So of the 24 in Slingsby Gin, 17 come from in and around the Harrogate area, including 12 from right here at the Rudding Park Kitchen Gardens. Whoop, whoop, fantastic! Absolutely, and I would do a disservice to, for me to tell you because obviously I know them all, but at the same time, I don't know all the subtle intricacies and the Latin names, for example. 
Excellent. Well, very good uh, segue in. Fiona, welcome. Um, uh, you're the person who grows all of these botanicals for, uh, for Alex. Tell us what, uh, what botanicals are in there. Um, that we grow. That we grow, yeah. I'm not so, interested in anyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> so um, most of the ones we grow are, are actually herbs. Uh, so we're starting off with Lovage, which is a fantastic, really quite a large herb. We get, And it grows to about six foot, doesn't it? Yeah. I've yeah, got yeah, some in my big... garden that are absolutely bullying everything else. Yeah. For yeah. those of you who don't know, Lovage, um, uh, if you eat the leaves raw, it tastes a bit like celery, doesn't it? Yeah. You can use it in yeah. stews, the same as yes. same as celery. And I once had it uh, cooked with um, crushed roast potatoes and nice. butter, and it was amazing. Lovely. Yeah. So it's, it's not just good for gin, it's good for eating. In Very good cooking as well. Uh, so, so lavage is the first one, and it is it is a really good plant, and it's a really good plant to have as a background um, in a herbaceous board or something like that. If you want a backing, it's a really good one to go for. And and in the winter, it just dies completely back down, so you can just cut it away. And but it does grow to six or seven foot, mm. and it's got a yeah, it's sort of a, a two foot sort of circumference hasn't it they're, yeah. they're, they can be quite thuggish can't yeah. they yeah they can so if you're thinking yeah. of putting lovage in friends just make sure you've got a large enough garden yes <laughs> definitely yeah um, so then we've got um, we also supply sage so we have got several different types of sage but uh, the one that gets used for uh, Slingsby Gin is just our, our common herb a common sage and when your sage gets too old Fiona <coughs> What do you do? I've got, I've got a sage at home, and uh, and it's it's gone sort of dreadfully leggy and and, and woody at the bottom. What's what should I do? Well, um, you can have a go at cutting it quite hard back, and actually June is quite a good time to do it. May June, once frosts are finished, it's quite a good time to do it. Because cut into the deadwood. Mm, okay. Cut into the deadwood. Just cut cut back quite hard. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the plant says, oh, don't fancy this, and it just curls up and dies. Um, so if that happens, what you can do as well is, with your old plant, you can trim it back slightly, get it to flush away, and you can take softwood cuttings from the tips, and they root quite well as well. Now, that so. all sounds very complex. Mm, mm. What I have done in the past for really dodgy ones is dig the whole plant up. Right? This, don't try this at home, kids. Um, what I, you, so I dig the whole plant up, dig a much bigger hole, put the plant back in, and then put the soil back in, and then sometimes it sort of sprouts loads of new little plants, sort of a bit like mounding sort of thing. Yeah, Do you that, think that sometimes could work? that can work too. And sometimes actually naturally, salvia, um, it will layer itself. So sometimes a stem, it will just sit itself down on the ground and it will actually root from the okay. stem that's touching the ground. So occasionally you can sometimes get plants naturally that So my plan too. of just digging a hole, chucking it in, covering it over does... Yeah, yeah, that could work as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Top tips, every day's a school day. Yeah. <laughs> Next. Um, so next one, uh, we've got a couple of different types of oregano that we put in. Uh, so we've got a small one called nanum, which is really pretty. It's it's like a, a ground cover oregano, basically, and it doesn't get much higher than about ooh, 10 centimetres-ish. Uh, lovely little white flower. Really, really good good plant to have in the garden. And my bees love that, don't they? I've got yes. a, um, I've got a yeah. beehive up at, uh, up at Fiona's kitchen garden, and the bees absolutely love marjoram don't they yes um, they do yes sorry oregano i call it marjoram it's so um, <laughs> uh, well it, oregano and marjoram and, and in fact the next one is are they the same plant by the way oregano they, and marjoram yeah uh, yes well um marjoram is a species of a type of oregano so marjoram is actually called oregano vulgari aureum so that is marjoram or golden marjoram 
So okay, yeah, very good. Yeah. So, um, which is the the next one on the list? It's golden marjoram. So, uh, and and sl- slightly varies slightly from just normal marjoram, which is green, and it has the most amazing golden flat um, golden leaves. Uh, the flowers yeah. are uh, a, a white color as well. Yeah. But you can you can get different colors of oregano, different species that have different colors as well. They're not all white. There's, there's purples. And, and they overwinter well in our harsh harsh climate. Really well. Very very hardy. It takes a lot to kill an oregano. Just off. cut them back and. Just let them come back. next year. Yeah, yeah. Just wait for them to start off again. So, so that's another one. And then we've got uh, we've got three different types of thyme that we grow for the gin. So we've got just our commoner garden thyme that um, anyone can grow. Lovely hardy plants, lovely pink flowers. Really, really good plant. Then we've got the silver posy, which is again is a common thyme, but it's a v- variegated variety with sort of uh, lavender pink flowers, which absolutely lovely. gorgeous. Really, really nice one. So, so we pick that one as well. Uh, and then lastly, we've got um, Thymus citriodorus, which is the lemon thyme. So obviously is that there's that le- lemon taste to the thyme. It's a lemon taste and a lemon fragrance. When you crush the leaves, you get a, the most beautiful l- hint of lemon through the, the thyme's there, but the hint of lemon that comes through in it is oh, really, lovely. really lovely. Again, I urge everybody to grow thyme. Uh, apparently, it uh, has um, anti-varroa properties for bees. So varroa is a little mite that lives on bees and uh, and and actually sort of virtually will kill a beehive. <laughs> but apparently, thyme has some um, anti-varroa properties. So the more bees go on thyme, the uh, the better they are anti-varroa. So. Yeah. Grow time. <laughs> Certainly, the time beds that we have in the kitchen garden in the middle of the summer, the bees are just just love it. it they're yeah. just covered. Yeah. In in bees, it's lovely. Um, and then after that, we've got the Primula vulgaris or primrose, uh, which we grow underneath our quince trees in the kitchen garden, um, and that produces the most gorgeous um, pale yellow flowers, which yeah. is what we pick for the gin, the flowers. And then after that, we've got. Um, the sweet Sicily, which is another uh, botanical that's used, fantastic herb. I absolutely love it. It's got the most gorgeous fe- feathery foliage and uh, smells of aniseed, and it tastes of aniseed as well. And ah. it has a, a real sweet tang to it. And um, traditionally, it gets used to reduce um, the amount of sugar that you have to use in your cooking because it takes away the tartness th- from things, and you can oh, okay. so you don't have Very to good. add as much sugar nice. to what you're. Wow. Um, to your puddings that. and so that's why it quite commonly gets grown next to rhubarb because it gets used to take the tartness away from ah, the rhubarb ah very good yes okay yeah. so rhubarb and sweet sicily classic combo yes a bit like yeah. apple and blackberry yeah yeah fancy yeah. look at that and, yeah. and, and gooseberry and elderflower and all yeah. that sort of thing yeah yeah exactly ah, well so. who knew yes um, Alex um, Fiona's uh, just given us um, quite a few of the uh, the um, the botanicals we use um, uh, what do you actually do with them I mean how do you how do you pick them do you, are you a bit like some sort of druid do you come down with a silver sickle <laughs> at the light of a full moon and cut it off is that all necessary um, I'm not I, I cannot comment <laughs> personally I don't do that I'm more of the end product okay mixing etc but I would imagine there is some kind of satanic ritual to the picking of botanicals <laughs> but I can't possibly comment it's such a pity the thought of you with a silver sickle by the light of a silvery moon just um, yes I'm, I'm sure it would scare many a person <laughs> to thinking well, werewolves were real so what do you do with them um, so for the most part botanicals are typically dried uh, yeah. because what we're trying to isolate when we're distilling is the essential oils and it's much easier to gauge basically how much an essential oil is in it 
based on how the weight is and stuff. So when you dry it, it, it doesn't have all the water and the sugar in there. So it's much more uniform. You know, for example, one lime is completely different to the next lime. So a dried peel, you can kind of have an understanding of roughly how much essential oils is in there. Again, it's it's not an exact science, and that's why people like master distillers and master blenders are so good because their palate is unreal. They're the sommeliers of the yeah, distilling yeah. community because they're having to basically not guess; it's a scientific guess on how much exactly they need to use. Yeah, um, having a having a fantastic palate <coughs> is um, it's it's one of those god given skills, isn't it? It's like being able to run fast, having yeah. fast synapses or whatever they are. You've either got a great palate. Oh, you haven't. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and you can ruin people, it very easily. Yeah, those people are um, tremendously lucky. So you dry it out, and what do you do then? Do you then just mix it with your your alcohol? Uh, effectively, we we so like I said, there's a lot of variants. We actually use the multi-shot gin method. So there's a method called the single shot, and we use multi-shot, and it is as simple as it sounds. Single shot is if you were making one, let's say, making one bottle of gin. And you can do this at the Spirit of Harrogate. You can come in and do a single shot gin in the shop from start to finish, making your own bottle of gin as part of your experiences. If you wanted to replicate that, instead of doing that 10 times to get 10 bottles, what you would do is you would do the multi-shot method, which is basically making a super concentrate. Okay. So it's almost like making a gin cordial. The thing is, it's not linear. So you go, well, I need 10 bottles. So I just times the recipe by 10. It's not that simple. If only it was. However, the theory is that basically the end product, you can then further dilute with raw alcohol and water to equate to your single bottle. And what that does is it allows for variance within the botanicals. It allows for excessive production of seasonal variants like rhubarb, for example. So you can have them available all year round at a super concentrate. And also it's much more consistent it is more time consuming but basically we take the botanicals and we would use the steep and boil method there's many methods and we can talk to you all day about it we would use what's called the steep and boil method and you typically steep your botanicals for around a day to three days i believe ours is 72 hours so three days in raw alcohol unadulterated and that alcohol what's it made of i mean <coughs> I, I've, I've had some gins in the past i have one from ireland that's, that's made from um distilled whey yes um from making cheese you know uh, what is it potatoes grain whey what's it made of so our gin is made from uh, distilled british wheat however you can make alcohol from anything that's got sugar in so when you look at a nation and their source of alcohol nine times out of ten it directly corroborates with their source of sugar but yeah basically you this alcohol is called neutral alcohol it's got no discernible color or taste but it's grain um we thought grain worked the best for the type of gin we were going for it has the least properties from the the raw material so to speak so you steep it for 72 hours you've got this super concentrate you then bring it back to you and then what do you cut it with so we with the super concentrate we then cut it again with the raw alcohol yeah and then obviously the finest Harrogate spring water from the aquifer. Okay, so excellent. My name is Philippa Harris, assistant manager at the Clock Tower Brasserie, and I recommend soaking up the summer sunshine with a relaxing lunch or afternoon tea on the south facing terrace, followed by a walk to the kitchen garden. Book online at ruddingpark.co.uk.
Listeners, um, uh, those of you who might not be aware, up next to Fiona's beautiful kitchen garden is the Breeze House. It's, uh, it takes about 12 people. Uh, it's a wooden structure with removable sides. It's got lovely cedar shingles. Uh, you can have barbecue outside. We've got a kitchen at the back, so you can have a five-course meal. We served a five-course meal there uh, the other day. And actually, uh, I had my, uh, my 50th birthday there. Fiona, this is where you say, Peter, you don't look... 50 mm-hmm. uh, but um, uh, sadly um, friends and relatives it is and of course it is also heated but you don't need that uh, right now uh, but but Fiona uh, I digress with 52 raised beds uh, tell us about what you're growing um, well at the moment we've got well we've got loads going on at the moment um, we've got planted a huge amount of stuff just lately we've got loads of edible flowers so we've got corn flour um, we've got well we had primroses we've got sweet william that we're doing for the first time this year which they the petals from that have the most gorgeous taste of uh, very faint cloves really uh, quite a sweet taste as well a really, really beautiful plant so yeah quite pleased with them um, and then we've also got loads of pot marigolds we've got loads of apple marigold which is a very popular one for the for Horto and um, they yeah. use that a lot as of um, the leaves and um, beans we've got broad beans this so year or not beans we've got broad beans this year we've got what, what type do you use I, I sometimes plant those uh, aquadolci ones that you can plant in the autumn and they come up earlier but have you done aquadolci or have we've you done, done aquadolci that's yeah. my favourite yeah most yeah. reliable one although we did just we sowed them in the spring actually in fe- February we tend to do ours but right. you can do them in the autumn as well yeah if you're lazy like me aquadolci works really well because you can just poke them in forget about them and up they pop yeah. in the spring they're fantastic <laughs> yeah, that's it. and we're also for the first year we're doing um edamame beans which will oh. be quite interesting to what see do they how look they like go. um well they're basically um soya beans so oh, yeah, yeah yeah so we'll see how they do uh, so that's a bit of an experiment, but we'll see how that goes. And we've also got a few uh, climbing French beans as well. And yeah. we have dwarf French beans too, which which have gone down quite well. In and the leaves, what sort of leaves do you do for us? So leaves, we do red vein sorrel, which has a lovely lemon taste to it. Really, really tasty, especially if you get it when it's quite young. If, it, if you leave the leaves too long, they can get a bit, a bit bitter, um, bitter and yeah. the texture can be quite heavy. So it's far better to pick them when they're quite small and quite young. Uh, for them we've got rocket uh, we're just finishing the spinach it's all starting to go to flower now unfortunately but uh, that's what happens at this time of year yeah and how easy is it for um for uh, absolute amateurs like me to uh, to grow um leaf uh, at home so you just dig your garden over and just hoy in a bit of seed well, not quite. <laughs> a little bit of preparation. Well, it depends how you want to do it. I mean, in the kitchen garden here, we do the no-dig practice. So we don't dig at all. We What we do is every year we'll put a layer of uh, compost or horse manure or leaf mould on top of the soil. And that is all we do for preparation. It suppresses um, the weeds, doesn't it? suppresses the weeds. It also naturally... Um, it, incorporates uh, goodness into the soil without us actually having to do too much and by not digging you're not disturbing that amazing um, environment that you have under the soil there's a whole ecosystem under there and if you're digging it every year that ecosystem is basically getting destroyed so all those little bugs and microorganisms that actually really help a plant to grow uh, suddenly have to start gr- looking after themselves and making their homes again. But, but when I'm doing my veg garden at home and I've got, I don't know, ash from the fire, I've got my homemade compost and that sort of thing, I can't just sort of throw the ash on top, can I, and leave it? Don't I have, I have to 
sort of rake that in somehow, don't uh, they? Well, ash is a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to use ash, I'd probably... Fiona's giving me the eye there. <laughs> ash, mm, dear. No, 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 it's nothing wrong with using ash, but what I would use it for would be to top dress underneath fruit trees. Um, so because the ash, uh, it, it can encourage better flowering. So if I was okay. going to use ash, I would put them under fruit trees. So put it under fruit trees mm. or on herbaceous borders? Um, yes... I think I'd probably go for something else first if I could. If you've got lots of fruit trees, I'd use your ash up under them. I mean, traditionally, if you're looking at quite a few years ago, ash was used on the paths in a vegetable garden to keep the weeds down. Was it? On a path, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, I, think uh, I might be in trouble at home if I then trod in lots of ash into the <laughs> yeah. house. I think if you're going to use ash in your veg garden, if you, you're just careful about how much you use, you probably will be all right. Um, but I would careful, be careful about how much I use is about the same about careful how much gin I drink <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what else should we be doing in our garden right now um, so you can be you can be sowing salad leaves you know so once you've got your area prepared you know just you can either sow them in pots prick them out into little module trays and then plant them out as bigger plants that's especially important if you have a problem with things like slugs and snails because a bigger plant's less likely to get attacked than a seedling. Right. Um, weeding. Which oh, great. Classic. Uh, the Fantastic. weeds are coming up like mad at the moment. So even just spending half an hour a day in your garden just doing a quick weed is, is helps to keep on top of it in a lot yeah. of cases, especially rather than weed killing, if you can help it. Yeah, and we've um, just finished No Mo May, of course. Yes, we've um, just finished No Mo May. Tell me about No Mo May. What's your, uh, what's your feeling about that? So this will be something that you're very happy about, No Mo May, I should think. Yeah, absolutely, because yeah, yeah. my lawnmower's broken. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, yeah, so the whole idea behind No Mo May was basically not to mow your lawn for the month of May, to allow all the flowers and uh, plants to well to, to come into flower to allow pollinating insects to get in and use them and get the benefit of them and it's only one month of the year that that you can't mow and then in you can go and just cut your grass after that but it's a really good way of helping pollinating insects which i think everybody knows uh, that, that there are problems yeah. um in the world with the insects um reducing in numbers so it, it's a really important thing to do um, and we have done it in certain areas around the estate this year. Yeah. Uh, which is lovely. I've certainly done it all over my garden as well. <laughs> um, uh, one last question for, uh, for both of you. Um, we, um, uh, we heard uh, from Helen Skelton earlier. Um, she was talking about uh, taking up golf uh, along with other things like rowing the Amazon and all the rest of it. Um, uh, are either of you golfers? Um, and uh, and if not, has listening to he Helen tempted you to uh, to pick up a club? Or Alex, you're just going to stay picking up a glass, and you're going to stay picking up a spade? <laughs> golf? Um, do you know I've never played golf ever? <laughs> Scottish person never played golf. <laughs> I know my granddaddy was a scratch golfer as was well. Was he? Yeah. God. Dear but for some reason, it's liar. just sort of passed <laughs> me by. <laughs> and you, Alex? Um, Yes, I have recently, I took it up last year during lockdown as a way of being able to spend time with my dad and my brother. And <clears throat> for the most part, we play every Wednesday on the Repton. Do you play here with us on the Repton course? Yep. Fantastic. Yep. It's great fun, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I am part of the uh, weeding club. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I must admit, uh, having played on the Repton every Wednesday for, what, probably six months, once yeah. we've had good weather 
um, my game has vastly improved and I have recently taken to the Hawtree, the Big 18, and I've done that three times now with George, Marcus's son, and yeah. my friend Josh, and obviously now that I'm... And how did you score? I did okay. Um, I recently b- broke my best score Which was? Uh, this following Sunday. Uh, I, no, not yet. Unfortunately, I have a slightly bad back and I've, I've been struggling with my iron shots recently and then all of a sudden, last Sunday, my irons were all over. I was having a great day with them and you couldn't hitting putt. my 60 and then I couldn't putt for toffee it's uh, <laughs> I need a new putter that's what I've been told that'll be yeah, yes yes I could sell you a very good one for 250 pounds my friend um, <laughs> I could swap you it for gin <laughs> <laughs> now that sounds like a deal Alex Fiona thank you so much it's been uh, great talking to you and uh, thank you for all your pearls of wisdom lovely to see you you too Cheerio. thank you very much um, so, if you've been uh, tempted by golf, um, come and see us. The, the range, you don't need to book. Or, like Alex, uh, try the uh, the Repton Short Course. Or, actually, if uh, gardens uh, are your thing, come and see the absolute thing of uh, of uh, English beauty that uh, that Fiona has created. Just come and sit quietly in the kitchen garden. Um, come and have a gin and tonic go to the breeze house but come and see what fiona has created here thanks for listening to pillar talk uh until next time when we're going to have lots more fun people to talk to and loads more stories it's behind the curtain it's what the butler saw cheerio pillow talk the official rudding park podcast